one of the things that, that I, while I was there, that really impacted, there was a number of things. One of the things uh, really relates to the, the theme statement of this year's missions conference, which is compelled. A lot of these guys are ministering in places um, out in the remote areas. Nobody knows about them. I, I was, you saw a picture of me holding, looked like a plate of worms there. That was actually a sugar juice. It was really tasty. Um, but I don't tell most folks that. I just say, yeah, that's some worms, some weird stuff I have. But actually, it was a very it's a good little dessert. But in that little village, there's 20 or 30 people uh, that uh, are there. In that little church you saw uh, uh, me at. And uh, how that came about was... Uh, a pastor, a man who heard about if there were some believers in this remote village near the Indian border, and they didn't have a church, they didn't have a pastor, so he just says, I'm going to go. So he gets on, hops on his bike, and he goes every Sunday, 15 miles on his bike, on bumpy roads out in the middle of nowhere, just to minister to this little flock. Nobody knows about this guy. I'll bet he's going to have a, a seat close to the front in heaven, just his faithfulness. One of the many heroes, uh, he's been doing that 15 plus years now, and uh, he's, he's one of the pastors that are in the training program. There's many other stories I, I really wish I could uh, share, but given the time, you'll have to catch, I think I'm in Fellowship of the Saints, uh, so I'll share a little bit more while I'm there. Sorry, all you other fellowship groups, but uh, you can catch me after. And so... Again, I was reminded, though, when, I, when I'm sitting there in this little church, this faithful pastor, it's like, what drives this guy to go? <laughs> you know, not only all the risks he's taking, but the difficult journeys to get out there. He has to go through checkpoints every time that he goes. Uh, the people there are always under threat. There's always the potential for anything to happen. What, what compels this guy to go? Well, we find it in our theme passage for this conference, Second Corinthians Chapter 5. Let me just read those two verses to you. Second Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ controls us or compels us. The love of Christ compels us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The love of Christ compels us. And that's exactly what I witnessed. These many men and women who risked their lives just to meet together. And to share the gospel in the midst of a very difficult place. They're compelled by Christ's love. For them is the idea. There's one other facet to this passage, and it's what I want to draw our attention to for our time this morning. Notice it says twice here in verse 14 that one died for all, and then again in verse 15, he died for all. And that just sort of reminds us that, that, it's, uh, uh, that he died for all, we're to go to all, right? That... Jesus made it perfectly clear that it is all the nations, right? In Matthew 28, the Great Commission itself, make disciples of, finish it with me, all the nations, right? Or we think about Acts 1.8, be my witnesses to the remotest parts of the earth. And so our, our mission effort is diverse. Our mission effort is multinational. Our mission effort is to the entire planet. 
It encompasses all peoples and all cultures and all backgrounds. Or put another way, our mission to the nations is based upon a one mission. There are many missions, many mission fields. There's a diversity of opportunity. You'll see that when you go upstairs later today. The, the various missionaries and, and those that are involved in ministries from a variety of different places in the world and a variety of different types of ministries. And so there's a diversity in the mission, but there is one mission. You with me? There's one mission. There's one message that we are to bring and one person who is the focus of that message we are to bring. In all the various contexts that the ministry is to take place, that the Great Commission is to be carried out. And indeed, now more than ever... Our focus needs to be on that singular message. So as we consider how to do that this morning, I want to begin with a a little story. It's a story about a, a rescue station located along a dangerous part of the eastern coastline. The station started out as just a little hut. Uh, it had only one boat, wasn't much to look at really. And this little station only had a few people who worked there, but they were dedicated. They were focused. And they were on constant watch day and night for any who might uh, be stranded from shipwreck or something like that off off of the shores. And because of their great devotion and their self-sacrifice, many people had been rescued on their watch. Many who would have otherwise perished into the waters. And over time... As many were being rescued by this little station, it had grown so much because it was making a name for itself. Um, Many in the area found out about it, found out about the work they were doing, wanted to be a part. And even those who were being rescued were so grateful, they too wanted to be a part of the efforts of this little rescue station. And so, it grew. More rescuers came on board. More people were being rescued. Uh, rescued from perishing in the ocean. And, and as this happened, others in the community continued to join. And so more money was coming in to support this little station. And so they purchased more boats and they actually expanded the station. They tore the old one down, built a new one with the multi-purpose center of all things as well. And more people were being rescued. More crews were being trained. But after a while, many who who were part of this, recognized that we need to have a a, a community center here. We need to build more elaborate rooms to do various activities to increase our social opportunities. So the emergency cots were replaced with really nice beds. The simple wooden crates that they had originally had, now they were now cushioned couches and tables. There was a large cafeteria, and as I said, they added a large multi-purpose room along with a rec center. Over time, though, this little station that now had turned into a large rescue station had become more of a social club. The number of members continued to grow, but not so much from being rescued, but because other lifeguard stations along the coast had heard about them, wanted to be a part of this movement. So they continued to grow, continued to grow, they continued to grow. But... Fewer were going out on the rescue missions. Now, it wasn't long before some of the members 
got upset because those being rescued, few as they were, were, were coming into the nice, new, beautiful station, and they were dirty. They had seaweed. They smelled like fish. So they created a little outhouse to clean them up first before they would come in. Well, it came about that a majority of the members actually stopped their lifeguard or rescue operation altogether. And there were some who were bothered by that, so they left this rescue station to start another one. You see where I'm going with this, don't you? You probably got it a long time ago, but I'm just slow, all right? Some members, they wanted to continue the life-saving efforts. They started a new station, and the same process started all over. They grew. Many people came to them. They became a bigger station. Same thing happened. They got caught up in the social activities, lost sight of the mission. So there was a small group from that station that wanted to start another one that would focus. And after a while, station after station popped up all along the eastern seaboard But nowadays, very few people are being rescued. Most of them are lost to the sea. That story hits a little close to home, doesn't it? I think it really records sort of the... what's happening in the American church, particularly today. So many have become social clubs. So many are more concerned now about politics or community services or nice facilities, or appealing messages. So many churches have lost sight of the mission and the message. And we, too, can be in danger of that as well. We, too, can get sidetracked by less important issues. You know, I'll probably step on it here, but, you know, when I was over in Pakistan, there wasn't much discussion about masks. People just warmer they didn't. That, that wasn't an issue in the church. Vaccination, I don't even think I heard the word when I was over there. Now, that's not to say these are unimportant or they don't matter. But they had a little bit different focus. You know, we can turn our attention inward instead of outward, right? We too can become a social club. We too can lose our focus on who we are and what we are called to do. And so we have to ask ourselves this question, and we have to ask it frequently. How do we avoid losing sight of our purpose? How do we avoid becoming like that little lifeguard station that started out so well, but now is irrelevant in their rescue efforts? How do we fulfill the challenge of making disciples Of all the nations. Well, we find the answers in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So I'd like to take you from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians back to his first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, if you're familiar with this letter to the Corinthians, you know that there was a lot of issues with this church. I mean, they, they had some problems. They had some concerns. In fact, it takes Paul over 15 chapters to address all of the issues confronting that church. But the main issue, the one that gave Paul the greatest concern, the one in which he started focusing on right at the beginning of the letter, the the issue that really overshadowed all of the others was disunity. Look with me at verse 10, chapter 1, actually. Go back to chapter 1. He says there, 
1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete, that is, united, in the same mind and in the same judgment. You see, just like that little lifeguard station, they too had taken their eyes off the ball. They too had lost sight of the mission. They too were looking inward and not outward. They too had lost focus. And so Paul wants to get them to refocus. It's kind of like the beginning chapters. All right, up here, look at me, look at me now. Let me focus your attention on what's important. And then he says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now here Paul reveals two principles that that we must rely on if we are to be a mission-minded church. If we are to cultivate a, a mindset that keeps our focus on what is most important. And those two principles are this. The first one is we must rely on his message. And secondly, we must rely on his spirit. We have to do those two things. We have to rely on his message and his spirit. Let's consider that first principle to to keep our focus on Christ's mission. If we are compelled by the love of Christ, that's good. But what are we compelled to do? That's also important. And if we're to be compelled to stay on mission, to be on Christ's mission, to make disciples of all the nations, we first must rely on his message. You know, early on in this, his letter, Paul takes these Corinthians back to the essentials. They had lost their way. They had drifted into carnal, selfish, uh, disunified. They were an ineffective group of individuals. Distracted. So Paul, he wants them to, to show them the way back. You know, the breadcrumbs to get back on the trail. And he does that first by reminding them of the importance of the gospel, of the centrality of the gospel to their mission. Take a look with me back at verse 17 of chapter 1. He responds here to them arguing over who they were baptized by. And Paul says this, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Then look with me now in verse 2 of chapter 2. He says this, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified now he's not negating the importance of baptism he says ah, that doesn't matter don't worry about it. that's not what he's doing here at all but what he's doing is elevating the importance of the message the message is which which prompts a person to believe and then be baptized what's paul's primary aim to proclaim the gospel and the gospel Alone. That's really all that matters. And, and notice he talks here about not having clever speech or persuasive words of wisdom or superiority of speech. Now, what he's saying here, he's not saying, I was purposely dumb and stupid while I was with you. I was illogical. I was passive. That's not what he's saying at all. Rather, he was contrasting himself with the methodology that was being used at the time in Corinth to attract the crowds. 
Boy, if any passage applies to the church in America, it is this one. Because there were people that were on the streets, and what they would do is, uh, the the Corinthians, those in Corinth, were really attracted to rhetoricians, those who who could spin a phrase or or turn a, a series of words that were nice to listen to. And so there would be these people, uh, instead of dressing up as mimes, you know, like in Hollywood or in superhero costumes, they actually had orators that were out on the street with their little hats out for money. And what they would do is, uh, they would stand there on the street corner, and people would come by, and they would throw out a topic to these guys. And then these guys would try to wax eloquent on that particular topic. And if you were good, if you could draw the crowds in, if they loved to listen to you, they would... They would give you some money. So you'd see this guy standing out on the street corner and someone might yell out, fig trees! So he would have to, on the spot, come up with some elaborate, uh, engaging message on fig trees. But you see, what did these orators rely on? Yeah, they drew the crowds. Some of them were very good. They would stop and listen. They relied on their human wit on their skill, on their ability to entertain, to manipulate, all because they wanted to make money, to attract the crowds, to be popular. You see why this is an important passage for the church today? But Paul says, I didn't do that. I didn't go stand on a street corner. I could have. If anyone can turn a phrase, it was Paul. No, he says, I didn't do that. I didn't rely on these shallow techniques. I didn't rely on rhetorical tactics or tricks to try to persuade or manipulate or draw crowds. I relied only on the gospel. I simply proclaimed Christ and him crucified. I rested on nothing else. I focused on nothing else. I gave attention to nothing else. But but why, Paul? Why did you do that? Paul, of anybody, you could have attracted massive crowds. You could have drawn them in with with your incredible understanding and knowledge. Your ability to speak, to communicate. Why not, Paul? Do that. Draw them in. And then, then you can sneak it in. Well, you see, Paul didn't do that because he knew the power of the gospel. He knew the power was in the message. And that the gospel itself was powerful enough to persuade. It was powerful enough to convince. It was powerful enough to convince. It was powerful enough to transform. He wasn't out there to entertain. He wasn't out there to draw a crowd. He wasn't out there to make money. He wanted to see people come to Christ. And that's what these men I met in Pakistan want to see. Well, I didn't see flashy bands and and all kinds of, of... um, elaborate, you know, you saw that picture of the one church. They didn't even have a roof. We don't need dramatic presentations. We don't need clever techniques. We don't need entertaining speeches or emotionally driven messages or upbeat loud music. Though I, I do like the upbeat loud music. But as far as what, what do we need? We don't need to address felt needs. We don't need to provide relevant programs. Some of those things are helpful and good. I'm not saying they're all bad. But what we need is the message of a conquering Savior, a one who has come and he's defeated sin, he's defeated the devil, he's defeated all of God's enemies, and he will return. That's what we need 
to rely on. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. That's what it comes down to. We need to declare that that the Son of God is the only way. As He Himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. What we need is the, the... to proclaim the message of a Messiah, of a King who is coming back, who will save his friends and judge his enemies. A mission-minded church relies on, now listen to you with me, relies on a mission-minded gospel. It relies on that gospel message to do the work. Because it's the gospel and the gospel alone that saves, right? Again, I'm not, I know I'm not saying anything new here. But I think it's important we, we keep our focus. Because it's easy to get distracted. Oh, if the last two years have shown us anything. It's easy to get distracted. But it is the gospel and the gospel alone that changes a human heart. It is the gospel, and the gospel alone is the spirit works that that convinces a lost soul to repent. That's why Paul said in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by, finish it with me, hearing, yes. And hearing what? The word of Christ. Or Romans 1, 16, Paul himself, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do you believe that? I know what you'll say in here. But when you're outside with a family member or with someone else. Do you rely on the power of the gospel? That it can transform. I've had an opportunity to to speak to many people and fallen in a lot of counseling a lot when I was here and. I remember one particular situation years and years ago and someone had come in and they had some particular pretty significant problems in their life. And they were just, they didn't know where to turn, what to do. So where do you think I started? Well, here, tell me about your problem. Here, let's list out all the things. Here, I've got some ways to know we started with. So tell me about your relationship with the Lord. And that guy got saved right in my office that night. We did not talk about his problems at all that night. Because there was a bigger one. And what was going to convince him? What was going to transform his heart? What was it that was going to open his eyes to what his real need was? To fix the problems in his life? Or to to deal with the real problem in his life? I think so often we get caught up, we're talking to someone, we want to help someone, and that's good, and we should. But so often we focus only on that issue, and we, you have to start, start the conversation with, well, how's your relationship with the Lord? Because you can help them out of whatever problem they're in, but if, they, if you haven't helped them out of the problem of hell, then that's where they're going to go when they die, even if their life is problem-free. You haven't helped them. The power is in The gospel itself. But so many churches, so many Christians are not mission-minded because they don't rely on the gospel to bring about change. They want to fill the pews. They want to grow the church. 
But they do that by saying, we need to meet the lost where they're at. We need to do things that will interest them, that will attract them. We need to avoid those things that might offend or bore them. We need to have an attendance target. That's what we need to do. We need to have this objective. How many people need to be in the church by next year? And so the gospel becomes edited, muted, diminished, diminished, or even discarded. No longer is the church dependent on the gospel, but it's dependent on clever techniques, dependent on entertainment, dependent on, on external manipulation, growth strategies. Churches hiring marketers, businessmen. And before we criticize those churches too harshly, we need to realize we can fall into the same trap. It may look different, but we, we too can, can fall into the trap of, of yeah, okay, the gospel is important, I know that, but, but is it really, do you really trust in it to have the power to change someone's life? When you're in those conversations and spiritual things are, are brought up and you have an open door, what do you do? I think I've shared this before, but uh, years ago when I was working uh, in the semiconductor industry and a colleague and I were working on a particular project together and we were talking as we were working on this project and just kind of out of the blue he says you know when i when i die that's it again i don't even remember what prompted him to say say that um i think someone made a joke about death or something or being sick so he says, you know, when i die that's it and he he paused silence i'm like ah there it is he just served it up right guess what tim did so what, what was the, this, I don't understand this little part here in the experiment we ran. Totally miffed it. I, I didn't even swing at the ball. Why? Because it was like, duh, 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 uh, uh, and then we lost the moment. I blew it. I wasn't relying on the gospel in that moment. And oh boy, I was convicted. Thankfully, uh, the Lord... <laughs> Brought that conviction on, so the next day I, I took the guy out to lunch and just said, you know, you brought up something yesterday, and I really should have said something at that time, but, but I didn't. Now, I'm not telling you that, you know, your job is not for you to be sharing the gospel on the company's time. That, that's not, but in that moment, I could have at least said something like, hey, actually, th- there is something that happens after death. Can we get, go get coffee a little later? But I, I didn't even do that at the time. Think of all those opportunities you've had with coworkers, family members, neighbors, People you've met and statements are made. The door's open. The ball's right there. Do you take a swing? Or do you do like I do and just drop your bat? Out of fear, out of maybe you don't know what to say. That's an example of not relying on the gospel. I remember another time 
in college and I was with my roommates and I had just gotten saved and I was trying to think of some way to bring up the gospel with my roommates, you know, and I kept, I kept, same thing, I kept just, you know, not even taking a swing. And then one night I was just so overwhelmed, we were all sitting in a room, I think we just finished watching a movie or something, and I, I said, hey, do you guys want to know how to become a Christian? <laughs> like, what happened to this guy? I mean, I, you know, that wasn't the best transition. It was super, super awkward. But guess what we talked about for the next 30 minutes? Two of those guys ended up at the end of the year making a profession of faith out of the four. Why? Wasn't the power, okay, Tim finally got bold enough to say something. or what? Wasn't it, oh, I just was clever, I came up with the right thing. Says, no, it was the gospel was preached. And that's what changed the heart. Now, I know some of us, we might not rely on the gospel message because we would say, well, I, I, there are other ways that I can win them over. I'll, I'll, I'll win them over by my example, right? Right, you've heard the phrase, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I don't like that phrase. I think I understand the heart behind it. Uh, after all, 1 Peter 2.12 does say, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that the thing in which they slander you, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So certainly Peter says our testimony and our example is important. It can't get attention. And some would say passages like this one would say our, our actions are the most important thing in winning people to Christ. St. Francis of Assisi is believed to have said this. You probably are familiar with this quote. He said, It is no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. As for me, I desire this privilege from the Lord to convert the world by obedience to the holy rule, by example rather than by word. Now, in his desire to address issues of hypocrisy, I think Francis missed it. Peter was, was not saying, uh, or was saying, we must not be hypocrites and that our, our deeds can get an unbeliever's attention. But what he was not saying was, if necessary, use words. Because if, just in the next chapter, Peter says this, always being ready to make a defense, oral defense, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Brothers and sisters, the gospel must be preached again faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of christ do you believe that indeed we must not undermine the gospel or shame christ in our behavior but our actions alone will not bring another man or woman or boy or girl to christ only the gospel will do that only the gospel, as it is illumined by the Holy Spirit, can save. Ed Stetzer, pastor, said this. Preach the gospel, and since it is necessary, use words. A godly life should serve as a witness for the message we proclaim. But without words, what can our actions point to but ourselves? A godly life cannot communicate the incarnation, Jesus' substitution for sinners, or the hope of redemption by grace alone through faith alone. We can't be good news, but we can herald it. 
We can sing it. We can speak it and preach it to all who listen. In fact, verbal communication of the gospel is the only means by which people are brought into a right relationship with God. End quote. A person's not going to be saved. A person's not going to turn to Christ unless they hear the gospel. You remember uh, Philip, right, in Acts 8? Remember his story? He's walking along. He's in Samaria. He's an evangelist. And all of a sudden, an angel tells him, go down that road. Okay. I think if any of us were met up by an angel, we would do exactly what he said. So that's what Philip does. And as he's traveling along that particular road, he comes across a, a man who's, who's referred to as Ethiopian eunuch. He's, he's sitting there. He's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And he's in, in Isaiah 53, of all places. Now, there weren't chapters and verses in that, the one he had at that time, but that's where he was at in the scroll. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? Notice Acts 834 says this, the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. The man gets saved. He gets baptized. And right after Philip baptizes him, the next verse, Acts 839 says this, the spirit snatched him away. Now, I find several things in this account to be very interesting. First is, that man needed someone to explain the scripture to him. He read it, but he didn't understand it. And notice Philip's response here. It says that he, was, he preached Jesus to him. And Philip didn't say, well, you know, this is, this is an important passage. Why don't you just hang around with me for a while and you, you'll see the example of my godly life. Or, hey, come to church with me this Sunday and you'll hear some great music and meet some nice people. And you'll hear something from the Bible. No, what did Philip recognize in that moment? That man needed to hear the gospel. That's what that man needed. He needed to hear of Jesus and him crucified. He needed to hear the message that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, that none of us can save ourselves, that none of us can do anything to be right with God. He needed to hear about this one who had come, who was God the Son, who became a man, lived life as a perfect man, and he died on a cross, taking upon himself the sins of all who would put their trust in him. That's what he needed to hear. And so that's what Philip told him and then boom he's immediately transported away now i'm sitting here reading this passage i'm thinking now why didn't the spirit just give the guy illumination in the moment as he is reading it why didn't he just transform the man on the spot why did they go to all this trouble over the angel to tell philip to go down there and wait for him to walk to find this guy have this conversation why god wants to use us to bring the message. He doesn't need us. He could have immediately given that guy understanding, saved him on the spot. We, we're all irrelevant in that sense. There's no power in us, but the power is in the message that we bring, and we are called to bring it. Amen? He needed to hear the gospel. He needed to hear the gospel explained, and he needed to be called to respond. In God's design, the Spirit works through the message. Again, faith comes by hearing. 
hearing by the word of Christ. We see this over and over in the Gospel of Acts, a a book that really describes the expansion of the church as the gospel goes forth. Acts 15, 7, Peter says this, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Or Acts chapter 6, verse 7, The word of God kept spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly. Acts 19, verse 20 says, The word of the Lord was growing mightily. Acts 12, 24, The word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. And so we see in this book of Acts, which uh, really is a book all about church growth, by the way, (laughs) the church exploded in that book. Thousands coming to Christ. But there's a clear message in that book. It is the word of the gospel going forth is what brought the increase. Listen again to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 5. Paul says this. The hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard, there it is again, in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it was it. The gospel is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God. Of God in truth. Again, the gospel message is powerful. The gospel message changes hearts. And so as we bring Christ to the nations, as we bring Christ to our communities, as you bring Christ to to your context in which you live, rely on his message. Don't shy away. Yes, it is sounding archaic. Yes, it may even sound harsh. Yes, you'll have to mention hell and sin and repent. As part of that message. And people don't want to hear that today. Yes, you'll be labeled. But nothing else is going to draw them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you rely on the gospel? How often do you bring it up in conversation? Do you pray for gospel opportunities? You know, as as I was in... Pakistan, obviously, you know, most people ask me, you know, were you, were you scared? Were you nervous? And, you know, it's very interesting being among the people there, and they just recognize that this is where God has them, and at any moment, something could happen. And so often, they really have this settled peace, but there are times that they do express fear. Even the Apostle Paul asked for prayer in Ephesians 6. He says, pray for me to be bold. Even Paul struggled with it at times. Yes, it is hard. If even the Apostle Paul at times had struggled to open his mouth, certainly we can understand that. So pray. Pray for gospel opportunities. Look at Ephesians 6, 18. Pray in that way as well. God, give me the courage to open my mouth. Do you rely on the gospel? And I think this is the right time for me to ask, do you rely on the gospel for your own salvation? Like I said, there are many new faces here. I, I don't know where all of you are at with the Lord. Honestly, I guess we don't know each other's hearts. I don't know where any of us are at with the Lord. But do you rely on the truth that 
you and I, we are all sinners before a holy God, the God who made all of us. He created all of us. He sustains all of us. He cares for all of us. He provides for all of us. But do you recognize you have sinned against this holy God? The Bible says all of us have sinned. We've all, and sin, by the way, is rebellion. We've all rebelled against this holy and loving and just God. And all of us deserve His response of judgment. Yes, there is a hell. There's a heaven. There's a hell. Because sin before holy God must be dealt with. And He did deal with it in another way. By sending His Son to take upon Himself the punishment you and I deserve for that sin. Have you put your trust in Christ alone, by faith alone, Or are you relying on something else to get you in? Only Jesus Christ and His sacrifice is sufficient. So come to the Savior. I don't care how long you may be going to this church or to any church. I don't care how long you may have read your Bible. Have you put your trust in the one who wrote that Bible? Have you put your trust in the one who died for the church? So may God's Spirit be at work in your heart now. Come, put your trust in Him. Tell Him, Lord, please forgive me. I don't deserve what You have done for me. Please show me mercy. I trust You and in what You have done. I want to follow You the rest of the days of my life. And the Gospel tells us in wonderful emphasis that you will be saved. What does it, say? it also says in Romans, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. You know what it says right before that? Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. What a message. And it's the truth. So in this, as we talk about the church needing to rely on the gospel in its mission, do you rely on the gospel yourself? And if your answer to that is yes, how well do you, do you know the gospel? How well can you articulate it to someone else? Now, I'm not talking about being able to answer every apologetic issue that they can come up with. Right? I don't even think Pastor Jay could do that. You know, he's, he's pretty skilled, but I don't think he can answer every issue. Don't be intimidated by that. If you don't know anything else, at least you know a Savior came and died to save us from our sins. You can tell them that, right? Certainly it's helpful to to study and learn things. And as I was in Pakistan, just uh, learning some things that, that they had, obviously they're very familiar with the Quran there. And so, yeah, if you're in that context, it will be helpful to know those things. But at the end of the day, it's the gospel that's going to save, not your ability to argue about creationism or argue about this or that. You know, spiritual text is not really the truth. At the end of the day, only the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified could say, you know, Paul, we're back to what he said in First Corinthians, right? I desire to preach nothing except Jesus and Him crucified. Of anybody that could deal with any apologetic issue on the planet, it was the Apostle Paul. And what did he say? Jesus Loves me this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus died to set me free from my sin on that cross. 
How well can you articulate the gospel message? We have an evangelism expert, and Bob Powell, sitting right over there. Wake up, Bob. Bob, I'm talking about you now. I could hear the snoring. No, sorry. Bob's put together a wonderful course on the gospel message. I don't know. Are you teaching it now, Bob? Not at this moment, right? But if you went up to him, I'll bet. said, you know, I really do struggle with how to share the gospel. Can you help me? I'll, I'll, I'll bet Bob would say, yeah. All right? All of us should be able to understand and know at least how to understand the gospel message and be able to share it with others. We must cultivate a mission-minded church by relying on the gospel. Relying on it not only as a means of salvation, but also of sanctification. We need to hear this over and over and the implications of this wonderful truth about the gospel in our own lives, even as believers. In fact, that's what Paul said in Romans 1. He wanted to visit these saints in Rome. Why? Because he wanted to in Romans 1.15. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. He's eager to preach to Christians about the gospel. Not because he's concerned if they're saved or not necessarily in that context, but he knows that the, the power of the gospel message and its implications and how it affects us as believers. If you've not read uh, the gospel primer, or primer for you Americans, uh, the gospel primer by Milton Vincent, it's a really, really helpful little book. Great devotional guide. And he just talks about the gospel and its implications for believers. The gospel primer. By Milton Vincent. Very, very helpful. Very helpful. Now, so again, if you haven't got it yet to this point, to be a mission-focused church, to be have a missions mindset, to, have, to be compelled by the love of Christ with the right focus and understanding, we must rely on His message. And secondly and briefly, we must rely on His Spirit. We must rely on His Spirit. Take a look with me at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. Paul says, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, there he goes again, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You see, Paul, Paul recognizes he's preaching Christ and him crucified that, that this must, even in the right message, he didn't rely on rhetorical skills and great oratory um, uh, performance or emotionally manipulative and moving speech. But it says here he relied upon the power of the Spirit through that message. And we can't forget that. I think power and spirit here likely go together. I like the NIV translation that it says it's a demonstration of the Spirit's power how is that power seen how's that power of the spirit demonstrated well here it's the acceptance of the message here are these pagan corinthians listen to this short bald guy he he says himself he wasn't much to look at right nothing can fix ugly right i mean that's just but it wasn't in his appearance it wasn't even in the way he spoke it was in what he said And the power of the Spirit working through that message. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, he says this, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. 
You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. John 3, 5. Right? We are born again by the Spirit. And so to cultivate a mission-minded church, we must rely on His message and we must rely on the One who empowers that message in the human heart. And so our our evangelism, our, our missions programs, our outreach ministries, our, our preaching, our counseling, our marriages, our parenting, our testimony, our growth in crisis, all must be empowered by a work of the Spirit in us. You guys know this passage. Some weird guy was preaching on it years ago in the book of Zechariah. Not by might nor by power, but by... My spirit, says the Lord. What's the context there? They were building a a temple, but they were discouraged. They had uh, little encouragement. um, There were enemies around them. They had grown apathetic. They were intimidated by others. And it was an enormous task. Solomon had like 200,000 workers to build this place. And they didn't have that. They didn't have the same resources. And so God gives them a, a vision to encourage them. A vision of, a, of a, a menorah where normally priests would fill the oil of the menorah each day. But in this vision, there were channels from these olive trees where there was continuous flow of oil to these, this menorah. As a picture that there wasn't any human involved in this particular vision as the keeping the menorah lit. As a reminder that it's not in human effort, it's not by our skill, our ability, that anything's going to happen. <laughs> but it is by... The Spirit at work in us. But what's the message we often hear from churches today? I've been listening, I was listening to a podcast yesterday about basically one particular church, and the focus was on growing the church. And all the right words were said, but the emphasis was not on the gospel, it was on numbers. So, you know. Jay, maybe you and the elders can talk about this. If you really want to grow this church, you need to hire a consultant, buddy. Uh, you, you need more children's programs. You need shorter services. And man, I watched your last sermon. It was like 55 minutes long. I mean, I think I'm going 55 minutes. So you need, you need to shorten that up, buddy. You need more entertainment here. I mean, Ian's a good-looking guy up here, and everyone in the band looks great, but you, you need a little bit more of an entertainment here. Maybe tell a few jokes, Ian. Get, get the attention. Maybe show some more videos. If you really want to pack this place out, come on. And maybe you could work on a nicer building. I mean, I tried to get this carpet changed while I was here. Come on, Lou. I mean, give it up. Uh-oh. Did I, did I step on one there? Lou's coming down. I'm done. Okay. Let's close in prayer. I just, you guys know what I'm saying. I'm not discounting. It's important to have nice facilities and... And all that, but you know where I'm talking about. But what do, what is the focus now? I mean, just watch any church growth sort of thing on YouTube or something and see where is the emphasis. If they don't start with, we need to focus our attention on Jesus Christ and Him crucified, just close the video. It's got to start there. Certainly these other things can be helpful and we need to be excellent in all we do here. But if it's not reliant upon the gospel and upon the spirit who empowers that gospel message, you're wasting your time. 
And you're actually causing more harm than good. You know, some of these churches that that expanded so rapidly and focused on all the other things to grow the church, they collapsed in a moment when the leader fell. Why is that? Because it wasn't dependent on the Savior and on His message and on His Spirit. It was dependent on the personality. It was dependent on what the building looked like. It was dependent upon the programs that were in that building. It was dependent upon the skills of the entertainers that were up front. Notice I said entertainers, not worship leaders. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be start fights here or anything, but, but it's so... Maybe it was just being able to sort of see the purity of the gospel message in simple form as I dwelt among the persecuted church. I don't know. We are just so caught up in stuff that... You know, when Peter got up, the church the first day, how many thousands came to Christ? God's not against large numbers, by the way. He's not against large churches. But Peter, he gets up and what did he do? He preached the gospel. And people came. And then the next day, he did the same thing. And thousands, I mean, you talk about a mega church, man. There were 10, 15,000 Christians in Jerusalem that first week or so. How did that happen? God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Put your trust in him and him alone. Don't look to yourself. Don't trust in your own ability. Don't rely on your own strength because it's not by might or by power but by my spirit. His spirit, his message. Much more to say, brothers and sisters. I I just, um, and again, I know... probably preaching to the choir in many ways but where is the choir by the way (laughs) but i know you understand this but i just want to encourage you because more and more and more and more we're seeing the church lose or diminish or throw away its reliance on the only thing that really matters that brings us here that will change our world you know we're so worried about so many things but if you want to change your community It starts with the human heart. And how does that get changed? There's only one way to change it. There's only one person who can change it. The Holy Spirit through the message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I... Thank you that you have shown your grace to us by allowing us to hear the gospel and that your spirit quickened our hearts to receive it. I pray, Lord, if there are any here who have not yet received it, maybe they think they are saved and just, Lord, I pray you would bring conviction. I pray you would help them to see that There needs to be a genuine repentance, a genuine desire to turn from sin and to put their trust in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here that that you would give each of us just a a reminder to reliance on your message. That maybe there's someone in family or friend we've been wanting to talk to and we don't know what to say. We don't know how to 
maybe introduce a topic we're afraid perhaps of how to address or answer questions. Lord, give us the boldness and the courage, but also the confidence that all they need to hear ultimately is about your son and what he has done and what you want them to do in response. May I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.